John F. Kennedy said, physical fitness, and I would put in parentheses, nutrition, is not only one of the most important keys to a healthy body, it is the basis of dynamic and creative intellectual activity. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 171, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. You know, my goal with every podcast is to help you be the parent you want to be. So I find child and adolescent experts that are the best in the country to help you understand your kids and why they do what they do. Well, today we're going to be talking about nutrition and your kids with my good friend and pediatrician, Dr. Marie Seiler. Dr. Seiler is a pediatrician in Miamisburg, Ohio, and she's affiliated with Dayton Children's Hospital in Miami Valley Hospital. She spent the last six months saying goodbye to her beloved patients as she transitioned to retirement. This, she said, was a very painful process. Well, I asked her to come on the show today and talk about many things, but most importantly, nutrition. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. Well, I'm really excited today to have on my friend and pediatrician, Marie Seiler. Marie is um, a wealth of information when it comes to kids and nutrition. So Marie, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Meg. I'm glad to be on. And I uh, see that bouquet of flowers I think you can see it. I don't know if everybody else can see it, but I made that for you from the garden. So, oh, you are so, see what I mean? You are so sweet. You are the pediatrician that everybody would want to have. Um, you know, if I lived near you, you would have been my kid's pediatrician because you would have talked some sense into me. You know, you offer so much information about nutrition. And I'm interested in this because we're not trained about nutrition in medical school. We're, as a matter of fact, I don't remember even being taught about what vitamins we should give little kids. And so I'm grateful to have you on because you've really taken this idea of holistic medicine and nutrition on your own shoulders, right? You weren't trained in this. You just did your own research. Is that right? Yeah. And, you know, being a pediatrician, but also a mom, um, there's an increased uh, interest. And then various conferences on the way that kind of embellish, you know, when you have questions in your mind and you have resources, you just kind of just latch on to them. Back in um, 2008, I attended the American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference in Boston, and there was a uh, task force chairman specifically just on vitamin D. Mm. Mm. And he was, his role was to spend a year gathering research information, drawing blood on parents, on moms, on kids. And with that information, that he presented to us at that meeting that reestablished the need for vitamin D in children, specifically breastfeeding children. Now formula is fortified with vitamin D, but it, he also upped the amount from what it was before. So different conferences like that were very, very helpful for me and um, made me ask more questions, brought on more questions. And then I had to come bring that home and apply it to my patients. But it was very, very, very beneficial. Yep. Okay, Dr. Seiler, I am your patient. I have a six-month-old baby, and I come in for my checkup, and I'm breastfeeding. And what would you tell me at first about nutrition for my baby? What do I need to watch out for? What do I need to supplement with? What, what is the conversation you would have with me? Yeah, I think it's uh, pretty basic. I think, you know, a six-month-old baby is typically the time that we start to introduce solids. Um, some people do start a little bit sooner than that. Some pediatricians will recommend that, which is fine, slightly earlier. But um, but I have, have a tendency to recommend six months. And so you have your formula or your breast milk, and that's going to be your insurance plan. So that's what you're, you're, you've been doing that all along. Now you're going to start introducing solids and you're going to be introducing, you know, like one solid at a time. And uh, before we used to say that you needed to wait several days between each new solid, but I think 
thoughts are starting to change with that a little bit. So stay tuned with that. And um, some people do that easily. So um, I think it's important to have, you know, some people will start with grains, but I don't recommend that. And I think a lot of people don't recommend that. I think it's easier to start with vegetables and fruits and then um, really soft cooked meats, soft cooked fish. So you're going to start these things little by little. Um, there's a really great Instagram site called Solid Starts that is mm -hmm. phenomenal and lots mm -hmm. of great video demos on, on how to initiate solids in kids and the way they're cut up. And uh, there are different uh, sizes of foods to avoid choking. We have to avoid the choking hazards. But two of the the vitamins that I do recommend that I think they're important. If you're doing, if you're using formula, you don't need to add vitamin D, but if you're using breast milk, you do need to add vitamin D and it's 400 international units. There are lots of different companies that provide it and you can give it with food. It's best given with a fatty food, say like if you're feeding avocado or, um, there are meats or um, a little bit of butter, whatever you're using that's fatty, that helps the absorption of the vitamin D. Um, so I really, really appreciate that. It's a great vitamin, very important for bone health and immunity. There's like 200 to 300 chemical reactions of the body that require vitamin D. And for the rest of the child's life, he or she's gonna need vitamin D. So it starts with birth and it goes on from there. So very, very important. And you don't want to overdo overdose on that. So 400 international units is standard. And then, you know, we go up after that at 12 months, it's, you can go up to, you know, 600 to a thousand, but I do think it's important to get a vitamin D level. And that would be the 25 hydroxy vitamin D level to get a sense of where the child is, particularly if that child has darker skin, um, there's uh, a higher chance of vitamin D, D deficiency because you're not absorbing it from the sun. And a lot mm -hmm. of kids are indoors. Um, so that's really, really important. So Marie, you recommended that kids six months of age and older make sure they get the vitamin D. Actually and from birth. From birth. birth. Uh -huh. Okay. But you don't you don't supplement vitamin D if they're on formula. Right. Okay. As a child gets older, you say that kids need vitamin D plus other minerals. What are those and when should kids start to get them? That's a good question, Meg. Thank you. Um so Vitamin D3 works, doesn't work alone. In order to increase the absorption of vitamin D and getting calcium into the cell, um, vitamin D3 works in concert with vitamin K2. And that's sometimes if people see K, they think of potassium. But I'm specifically thinking or speaking about vitamin K2. And it also works in concert with magnesium. And you can get these things from your food, but um, vitamin D3 does come in supplemental form with K2, pretty balanced. And there are lots of companies that sell it in drop form. So, you know, I particularly like the Carlson Company, um, Nordic Naturals, um, different companies will make it. But it's very beneficial and it's important not only in childhood but in adulthood because the K2 is actually what helps the calcium go to bone um, and as opposed to causing problems or building up uh, calcium in the renal system, the kidney system, or causing plaque formation. So early on in life, um, we need to be aware of that. And that's something that people can talk to with their doctors and also research, but it's readily available, vitamin D3 and K2, and it's balanced. And you can find it in a kid's formula. If you're getting vitamin D as a thousand international units from 12 months on, it's going to have the balanced K2 with it. And then the magnesium is really important and that we can get from food as well but sometimes people like to supplement magnesium and you can get it as magnesium, citrate, glycinate, malleate, 
uh, or three and eight. There are different ways to get it. I think it's people are not, uh, there are some researchers that don't approve of magnesium oxide, which is sometimes used in some supplements. So those three are very, very, very important, not just for bone, but also for other chemical reactions like we talked about. And magnesium is a big source of relaxation for people. So we're seeing more anxiety in children and um, magnesium is helpful for that. How can parents make sure, um, and at what age? Are you talking about one year of age, two year of age, three years where we have to make sure that kids are getting the zinc and magnesium and selenium and calcium, or do we start at six months? You know, the only ones that I generally would recommend supplementing at six months on would be the vitamin D3 and zinc. And zinc uh, for a little one, for six months, we're only talking about like half a milligram. But babies in general, for the most part, are not being fed foods that can diminish their minerals. So that's not imperative, but definitely by 12 months. I would be doing about a milligram of zinc and then you go up, you know, two years, probably two milligrams and then three years, three milligrams and you kind of stay there. And then in adulthood, I recommend about seven milligrams. Uh, Getting too much zinc in can actually cause copper deficiency because copper, they, they form a dyad. So yeah, I would say my, my favorites are D and zinc of those supplements. And we, and you know, the other one would be probiotics, but that's, yeah, that's another um, part of our talk. Mm -hmm. Let's just quickly talk about milk in bottles in kids who are, oh, say, you know, a year to two years. One of the more common things that I see in kids who don't want to eat is that moms just keep giving them bottle after bottle after bottle after mi- of milk. And this can cause severe iron deficiency. Correct. I just saw a baby in heart, heart failure because they had little iron. But, but I think there's a misunderstanding, and I, and I get it, is that, you know, once we start feeding our kids milk um, at a year of age, that milk is a whole food and it provides everything so that many parents feel if their child is drinking milk, it's okay if they don't eat other things. But you and I know that isn't true. They get severe iron deficiency. Talk to us about other deficiencies after a year of age and how we can avoid those and then how we can make sure our kids are getting enough of them, iron and calcium, so forth. I think you bring up a really good point with the dairy. I think Traditionally, it's been pounded into people that dairy is so, so important, and it is, and it it plays a role, but there's a lot of other foods out there that provide the calcium and the minerals that milk provides, so it shouldn't be the only thing. Sometimes kids will use, you know, they they get really attached to their bottles, so that is hard, but for me, I, I feel like around 12 months is when you should transition away from that. And um, I, I could, I prefer the dairy to be taken in, in a nice, without sugar added, not artificial sweeteners, but just a regular basic um, Greek plain yogurt or other type of yogurt, or, you know, I don't think that we, that the babies and kids at that age should be after 12 months should be consuming more than about, like 12 to 16 ounces of dairy. And it can be in that form, in yogurt form. That still is valid. You know, it doesn't have to be drunken as a liquid as long as it's the same volume. Mm -hmm. So, and then dairy can play a role in allergies, autoimmunity. I know the one thing I did want to uh, talk about was the dairy um, in the breastfeeding mom in the first month. Sometimes that can cause a lot of problems. So if the mom reduces or avoids dairy in the first month when she's breastfeeding, you can reduce a lot of the reflux and the GI issues that we see in babies. But as far as going into um, deficiencies, I think the biggest thing is if we could focus on being more plant-based, I do believe in using um, meat and fish 
you know, you want, it's hard for some people to get high quality um, vegetables, fruits, meat, and uh, chicken, fish, but to the best of your ability, you know, we've got some good grocery stores that provide these basic foods. And, um, you know, you and I are both for simplification and trying to ease the life of parents Mm -hmm. and grandparents and guardians. We Mm -hmm. want nutrition to be easy. We want uh, kids to be able to thrive. It's, this is a critical time to build the body with nutrition. So really, I think parents need to put effort into learning about how to make things more easily. You know, the crock pot is our friend. The Instapot is our friend. The oven, uh, things don't have to be complicated to be able to, you know, steam or saute or bake or, you know, slow cook. Um, Just wash your vegetables, throw in some seasonings, you know, look up recipes, um, have someone who's good at it teach you, you know, grandparents Mm -hmm. are a wealth of information with that. Parents, you know, we've lost that art of easy cooking, but once you get a hold of it, it's amazing how passionate people become. And if preparation of the food with the vital nutrients, the vegetables, the fruits, et cetera, um, the whole grains... Um, if you can accomplish it easily and premeditate, you know, prepare on the weekend, then that's going to give you the ability to have the meal together um, and connect. So it all kind of flows in. It's a really, really nutrition and time together and that connection with families is just huge mm-hmm. in the formation of children. It is huge. And even with little ones, six-month-olds, eight-month-olds, one-year-olds, yes. I really encourage parents to sit down with the kids, sit them in a high chair, put them around the table. And even if they start throwing food at you, keep them there because you want them to begin to understand that eating isn't just a recreation, that eating has more important messages for kids. It keeps them connected to their parents. They make eye contact. They hear the voices and the chatter and the talk. Yes. So I know that's hard for people if you have a young one and then you have older ones, but do your very best at least three times a week for everybody to sit at the table. I also think it's better for kids' digestion. I think it teaches kids how to eat well because if they see their parents eating a lot of green things and orange things on their plate, they're more likely to eat that as well. Exactly. They roll model. They will. I had a desperate mom who had a little tiny baby a child I mean she was probably three and she just wouldn't eat anything so mom confessed to me she was throwing popcorn on the floor to just because that's the only thing a child would eat and I thought you know in 30 some years I've never had a child starve to death who wasn't trying so don't worry about that let's just sort of dial back a little bit and um, talk to me a little bit about kids who are very picky about their diets. As kids get older, say five or six or seven, it seems that they just want to eat mac and cheese or grilled cheese. How do you finesse that with older kids who are starting to get picky and don't want to eat the vegetables that give them the zinc and magnesium and so forth? Yeah. And all the nutrients. Yeah. You know, I would say, I think the biggest thing is it's like you were talking about, it's all cultural. So we want to de-emphasize the eating. I think sometimes because there's more adults than kids lately, they feel their they feel our eyes on them. They feel, you know, put on the spot with eating. Maybe somebody's pleading with them or they're bargaining with them. If you eat this, you eat that, you know, then then I'll give you this. You know, right. Like you said, you come around the table, you take away that pressure from the child. You know, I think having them participate in the production of the food, whatever role that they can, they they have more pride and they're more likely to try it. De-emphasize the dessert as the reward. Uh, Plop that little tiny, you know, that little cookie on the plate along with the dinner. You know, take away that mystery. Don't make it supreme and don't put such large portions down, Mm -hmm. you know, you put the regular, you know, whatever the food that they desire and then small portions to try. And it takes kids, you know, I don't know how many times one, it might take 10 times another, a hundred times, 
But just because they reject it at one time doesn't mean you take it out of the repertoire of foods that they're going to consume. So take away the pressure, like you said, converse. The kid's watching you put an artichoke in your mouth and you're enjoying it and they're interested, you know. They need to see you eating all these different foods. And if, if a parent is is picky themselves or doesn't like a particular food, uh, you know, I don't think it's good for the kid to know that they don't like it. They need to keep that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Getting our kids to eat is a very emotional issue, particularly for mothers, I have found. And they yeah. feel that if their yeah. kids don't eat, they're a failure of a mother. Can you talk about that? Yeah. And I was just thinking of something as you said that as moms, I think intuitively or dads, what is the time that you feel is the hungriest? And I think of those ravenous kids coming home from school and raiding the pantry. Mm -hmm. So what I have often told parents is if you can have a pre-made meal, if it's possible, some parents are working at home now, so it's possible, or they can have the crock pot or, you know, they're different things. If you can have a meal that's been warming or you can warm it easily, that's been pre-made and you, it's kind of more like a European tradition where you're eating a bigger meal right after school around three or 4 PM, you're capitalizing on an extreme, extreme hunger. And they're not going to be raiding the pantry and getting foods that are not as nourishing or nutritious to them. And, uh, you know, sometimes parents can sit with them at that meal. Sometimes they can't. If they can, or one of the parents, great. But if it's just a couple of kids, you know, sitting around the table eating a healthy meal, then I think that can help parents uh, reduce the guilt. You know, they're, they're using what is more natural in a child to try to nourish them. And that being said, if they've eaten really well after school, maybe they've had another good meal prior. Maybe they had a good breakfast. Maybe they had a good lunch. And then they have this really great meal after school. Maybe uh, parents coming back from the office or from work and they have supper, say like around 5, 6, 7 p.m. You've got a salad there. Maybe you have soup. Maybe you have some other nutritious things. The child may eat a lot or they may not. Mm -hmm. And then you're not going to worry about it. You're not going to attack them. You're not going to try to cajole them. You're not going to try to bargain with them. Your focus at that time, if all the family is together, hopefully, is to engage with each other and connect, laugh, hear about the highs and lows of the day. That is such a beautiful time because we know uh, a good friend of mine said the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm. That's one of the greatest times to connect with a child. And in no way should fighting over eating be a part of that. Right. So take two good meals a day and be happy with it and know that your child's going to be well nourished. And I agree, no sleeves of Oreos, you know, but nutritious food at all times and letting the child's ability to start and stop his meal is really important. We want them to recognize when they're hungry. We want them to recognize when they're full. And then we're going to have less issues with eating disorders or overconsumption of calories. Yeah. So let's focus on the food itself and more focus on just being together. I always encourage parents to, I'd like to see what you think about this about food wars because kids can get very manipulative when it comes to foods. If a child sits down six or seven years of age and he's mad at mom and mom is all worried about him eating, eat, 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 eat. Yeah. Then he knows the way he can really get under her skin is to not eat. And so I always tell the mothers, don't pay any attention to it. If he doesn't eat, he doesn't eat, but don't even acknowledge it. Right. What do you tell parents about eating and food wars? You know, I feel that, again, it's this is there's something underlying to all that. That child is saying, I want control, uh, maybe saying, I want time with you. I miss you. I, you know, they're using this attention. There's a, there's attention seeking with it. Um, it's kind of like going on a food strike, you know, that we've seen people do to try to get some type of change. 
monumental change. So with the kid, again, I feel that we have to make sure all the other parts of living are there. Good sleep, good outdoor time, uh, good fellowship, time together, you know, try to try to find time with the child as early as possible in the days you can reconnect. You sit with them, you put your arms around them, you talk about, you know, maybe the day to come. Just try to connect with the child. They want time with you. Mm-hmm. And and then you put the food down. Don't fight. I agree with you. Take the emphasis away. Don't get engaged in a battle because it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. And if possible, you know, sometimes people need counseling, whether it's uh, with a nutritionist or with a counselor. Um, sometimes that's happening and that that's necessary and don't shy away from it. The sooner you can solve a problem, the better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're a failure ever. No, no, absolutely. But I found that eating and digestive issues have been very, very emotional for, for mothers in particular. Well, parents, I hope you're learning from our podcast today and enjoying our conversation with Dr. Seiler. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. I'll be right back with more of my conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest today is Dr. Marie Seiler. Talk to us about snacks. Do you believe in snacks? You know, do we over, do we overdo? Because I think in our culture, we are so focused on eating. I was on an airplane recently and you know how they come around and they give you snacks and people buy them. So this, this couple next to me bought their snack and they ate it. It was 10 in the morning. And then they started talking about what they're going to have for lunch. And then they talked about where (laughs) they're going to go out to dinner. And I thought, for heaven's sake, you just it. ate your granola bar, you know, move on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. so talk to us about snacks. Yeah, I love that question. Again, I I think of the, the model of like, think of Mother's Day and a lot of people go out for brunch and they get a wide variety of food. They get a good protein source, you know, meat. They get vegetables, uh, they get fruit, there might be some uh, grains in there, um, some desserts, of course. Think about your eating, your talking, the meal's a little bit longer than your normal meal. And I'm not saying we can do this daily. But what happens? You eat this brunch around 10, 11, 12, 1, and then you almost forget that you're hungry. And it's right around 4, 5, 6, you oh my gosh. We need to eat supper. You know, do you think about, think about that you've had all the calories and and, and a wide variety of nutrients. So if our meals have the basic essentials, the protein, the good fats, the good complex carbs, there's going to be satiety and snacks won't even be a part of the picture. Now, if you need a snack, you know, you're picking up the kids from school and you're going off to sports or you're going off to some extracurricular activity or you're not able to get home in time. I really believe that the snack should resemble the meal. So you could have a cooler in the car. You could um, look at your fridge. What do you have in there? You have some cheese, you have some meat, you have some, what if something cooked, throw together a little, uh, some type of sandwich or something Um, a lettuce wrap or, you know, figure out how you can put this into a container, an apple, fruit, and kids are going to eat it. If they're hungry, they're going to eat it. Mm -hmm. So make the snacks, if you're going to give a snack, and they're not always necessary, but if you're going to give a snack, have it be something that you would confidently eat as part of a nutritious meal Mm -hmm. Um, and start to avoid buying snacks that are empty with a lot of extra chemicals that actually harm our children. So, you know, are snacks bad? No. And again, we don't want to say, we don't want to make anything forbidden because- I made those mistakes earlier on raising our three kids, especially with our baby. But, you know, she, you know, they all learn. Everybody learns. But, you know, we're all humans. So we never want to make anything 
absolutely forbidden. We mm-hmm. want to really talk up the things that help our bodies and help our eyeballs and help our brains and help us, you know, function better. But um, let's talk about food and more action mm-hmm. um, and more talking with the child. You know, we're, when we're in this mode together, we're educating um, and we can educate our children here and there, but we want to have a nice balance. And again, I can't emphasize enough don't um, condemn snacks, but maybe teach along the way and have kids read labels and see the differences of thing. In Europe, there are far fewer chemicals in uh, mm-hmm. processed foods than there are in the United States. And I'm hoping that that will change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I do think if you see that um, Germany, France, you know, they have, they seem to eat higher calorie foods but less of them and they walk everywhere and that to me seems a lot healthier we're so afraid of certain foods here like you know butter that kind of thing and i think we hyper focus on it and i think that's why we have so many weight issues in the united states i i personally think um that you know snacks are fine they need to be healthy snacks but that it's fine for kids to be hungry, you know, just because they have, you know, a little gurgling in their stomach and they'll say, Oh, I'm starving. Doesn't mean that they have to, you know, go through and grab a bag of chips. The other thing that I would strongly encourage parents of young children is to, you know, kids in preschool and even in kindergarten have snacks. And many times parents send them in. And then particularly when kids have a birthday, which if you have 30 kids in the class, you know, you've got a couple birthdays a month and kids are always bringing in just junk and, you know, goldfish. And, and so I think it's important for the teacher maybe to sit down and, and write a list of foods and say, I don't mean to, to kill your enjoyment of feeding kids, but I really would ask you to bring only these things because we need to set a good precedence for kids about healthy eating. Exactly. Um, and yeah, but but that's one of my pet peeves is nursery schools and kids yes. bringing in junk. Because if you have 20 kids in a class and 15 of the kids are constantly bringing in, you know, juice and goldfish and whatever, and then the other kids are eating carrots and peanut butter, um, you know, that's, which is true. That's going to encourage all the other kids who are eating the peanut butter and celery go, Hey, wait a minute, you know, where are my chips? So I think yeah. early on in life, if you can recruit other people who are involved in your child's life to help you give nutritious foods. And I would even, I remember even asking parents of my kids, friends, maybe this was kind of obnoxious, but I did it anyway, as I would say, you know, my child's coming over for dinner and we work really hard on, you know, nutritious meals. I, I would just really appreciate it. Just be kind of aware of that tonight and, and then be done with it. And I found that a lot of parents would do that, you know? Um, oh, I love that. You were proactive. I was proactive and I even probably insulted a few people, but it may be not, but at least it made them aware of what they were eating because I find if kids are going to go on a sleepover, classically, the kids will have, you know, pizza and chips and Coke. Well, you know, that just is so unhealthy for kids. And then what kids associate with fun and being with friends is junk food and you do create right. associations. So in other words, if I'm going to have fun, then I'm going to have, you know, pizza and chips and Coke. So I'm not trying to make p- parents feel guilty, but at least if you're going to have pizza, serve a salad or serve some, you know, cooked broccoli, or, you know, whatever. So exactly. Those are party foods and they shouldn't be a part of the every day. Again, we don't want to demonize them but we also need to be aware and there are ways to eat things that are like that that are fun uh food can be really fun and delicious as you and i know Mm -hmm. and we need to expand our repertoire with recipes and the other thing that you bring up with snacks is i think everyone now is aware of sugar and how damaging it is and strong connection to dementia and as pediatricians we're both interested in strongly in prevention 
um, I was listening to to a scientist talking about dementia and how the plaques of the brains they were they did autopsies on the brains and they were finding bacteria that they found in the mouths and basically you know if you have bacteria in the mouth tooth decay etc i think there's a connection so with the sugar what we need to realize is that we gotta way dial it back we want to avoid the high fructose corn syrup completely if we can again kids are going to get a hold of it you don't bat an eye you don't make a big deal you're moving them in the direction where they are going to desire good food because it makes them feel better. And you can point that out, you know, Oh mom, I had a lot of energy day. Well, what'd you eat? How, how, you know, do you think it was because you slept so well last night or, you know, have them understand the connection between eating well and how they feel both mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, you know, I just think they can be aware of that, but the sugar We've got to dial way, way back because the insulin, our insulin levels are going up. And when our insulin levels are up, that's when we are ravenous. That's when we are so hungry. And if something's easy to eat, if something's right there, we're going to eat it. Like you said, being comfortable with our hunger. I think there's less of that severe hunger if your insulin levels are more normalized. And how do you how do you make that happen by eating less of the um, simple carbs, you know, the, the processed flours, the sugars, the high fructose corn syrup, etc. So when, uh, like you said, try not to um, consume too many snacks, but there are easy recipes for making snacks, you know, like peanut butter balls and a little bit of honey and some nuts if kids are able to eat them. And there are tons of recipes now, especially on social media, that are easy to make and easy to have on hand or put in the freezer that are better alternatives. We only have a few minutes left, but I would love to hear you weigh in on childhood obesity because it's a huge problem. And one of the things that people will tell me a lot, and I don't believe it, is that, well, if you don't have much money, you can't afford good vegetables. And I don't think that's true. I mean, there are a lot of wonderful vegetables. So if a parent has a three or a five or an eight-year-old right now, what are the most important things that parent can do to prevent childhood obesity when the child's 12 and 15 and 16? Yeah, good, good questions, Meg. Um, you know, in this situation, there's so many people involved. You know, you have the kids, uh, their peers, the school, their parents, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles, their friends, parents, different people are providing food. And so I think for those younger years, again, honoring their ability to know when to start at three and four years of age, kids know when they're hungry and they know when they're full. If we're pushing them to eat and clean up their plate and finish up, um, they lose that sense of satiety. There's a lot of emotional eating, especially during COVID um, and being at home and being near the refrigerator and a lot of sadness and isolation that was occurring. I think really working on getting kids engaged again in community, getting them back into their passions um, so that they are interested in living and doing different things, you know, learning how to swim, being a part of a sports team. There's so many different activities that they can do that can keep them engaged, take them away from sedentary behavior, um, all the screens, maybe uh, mapping out their day with them. You know, what does a typical day look like for you? You know, you're going to sleep during this period. You're going to eat during this period. You're going to attend school during this period. That leaves you so much time. How do you want to use your spare time? You know, kids should be outside. It helps them with their vision. It helps them with their sleep. It helps them with their mental and emotional health. You know, if they're engaged in other things, they're less likely to be eating to the point of obesity. So there's that. And then uh, there are some kids that don't have as much access to good foods for lots of reasons. 
Um, so education, I wish they would educate in the school for the kids. And I think that that can happen because kids are sponges and they love to learn. Mm-hmm. But also a lot of the processed box foods, unfortunately, you know, the MSG is a very strong appetite stimulator. Um, It's in a lot of foods and kids are, I mean, they're innocent to that. They're not choosing that, but it does wreak havoc on their bodies and makes them more addicted to foods, certain types of foods. I, I think parents need to be really look at their actions when they're going through the grocery store. Don't, you know, throw in automatically these different foods into your grocery cart. Be really intentional. Try to go with a list if you can. Your time is of a premium. You know, a lot of people are working 12-hour days. They're working 60-hour work weeks. My heart goes out to them. You know, I want them, you know, to really take an hour once a week to decide, okay, how am I going to nourish my family this week? How are we going to make it happen? What, you know, what are the things I can put into place on this Saturday, on this Sunday, or whatever day when they're home to to premeditate and plan out their child's nutrition as much as they can to be prepared to uh, also engage family members in um, helping them to avoid obesity in the kids. But I think it's more accentuating the positives. We want activity. We want good choices. We want to provide good foods. We want to engage the kids in preparing their foods. Because a lot of times if kids don't know how to prepare foods, they're going to go for simple. They'll be a college student. Maybe they're out out of college or they're out in the real world. And it's easier for them to drive by McDonald's because they don't have a lot of time. But if they've already been taught how to create foods easily and simply without these elaborate recipes, they're more likely as adults to be able to produce food for themselves. Mm -hmm. I love it. If you have a child, I see this sort of cycle of kids, you know, who will sit inside and they play video games and then they become bored and then they eat and then they become more bored. Would you, would you sit down with a child, say a 12 year old and go, you know, I wonder why you're eating. Do you think you're eating because you're happy, you're sad, you're bored? Can kids grasp that? Or should we stay away from those conversations? You know, that's really, really interesting because, yeah, we don't want to bring in any uh, anything that would worsen the situation. But I think awareness may be more of instead of, you know, why you're eating or you, I think that's really good. But I think really honing in on what are you feeling right now? And, you know, and that I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling uh, lonely or mad or whatever. I think again, they are, we can't, we can't underestimate what they're capable of understanding. I I feel that it would be worthwhile for them to know how they're coupling certain behaviors, whatever behaviors they are, whether they're eating or whether they're fighting with their sibling or whatever, to really understand what's going on intrinsically inside of them. Because I think that's helpful at any age, even a little toddler, if a child is, you know, hitting their parent or whatever, trying to understand quickly what's going on with them. So being aware of your emotional state, I think is important, mm-hmm. but that whole screen thing. And, and, you know, we know the more screens, the more depression. So it's again, ah, oh, trying to enable our children to develop passions again and hobbies and, things that are going to bring them together with other people and their community and Mm -hmm. teaching them a new skill, you know? Um, And it's hard because parents don't always have a lot of time to take them to lessons, but if there's a way to facilitate that and prioritize that, I think parents can actually probably find that time. Mm -hmm. So to give kids something that they can be proud of and skills that they can carry into adulthood. Mm -hmm. So um, I love it. One other thing I thought about, I mean, we could talk about this for three more hours, is, <laughs> is is to not talk about food so much. I listen to mothers, and I've done this, and even and even yeah. fathers, you know, oh, I need to lose that last 10 pounds. Oh, I need to, yes. oh, I can't eat that. That's fattening. Don't do that. 
because that puts in your kids' minds, oh, food is really, really important. I should be thinking about it. I should be thinking about my weight. And I found that the less you think about it, the healthier you eat. Because if we're constantly focused on what we can't eat, we shouldn't eat and how we do this, it spills onto our kids and it sets up a really bad precedent for how they should approach food. Right. We should never worry about the calories. Uh, if we're eating whole foods, good fats, good proteins, good complex carbs, and listening to our bodies, you eat without thinking the amounts you should be eating. If you're eating slowly enough, your body says, I am done. I am satiated. You know, you shouldn't have to weigh and measure and look at calories at all. And we don't want children to have to do that. We don't want to raise them that way. And I agree with you, role modeling, uh, that comfort with yourself and, uh, and avoiding that type of talk that could, the kids will pick up on right away. And then early and earlier ages, I hear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hear third graders talking about needing to lose oh. weight. And I think, oh, please. No, no, no. So anyway, my guest has been Dr. Marie Seiler. She's a pediatrician of many, many years. She knows a lot about nutrition and, um, and diets and healthy eating. So Marie, I'm so grateful that you came on today. This has been so much fun. Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome, Meg. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed my time with you. Well, friends, I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Seiler. She is a wealth of knowledge, an extraordinary woman, and an extraordinary pediatrician. And I'm sure that her patients are very sad that she has retired now. Well, let's go over my points to ponder. One, Give your kids vitamin from food sources first. When your kids are young, introduce them to colorful foods. And one of the best ways is through smoothies. You can really pack the nutrition in. You can use fruits, yogurt, veggies, proteins, orange juice, and other kinds of juices. You know, as kids get older, many parents get discouraged because kids want hot dogs and pizza and mac and cheese. Well, don't give up on healthy foods. Find ways to hide them in foods that kids will eat by using things like cheese and pizza, pasta, ranch dressing, ketchup, anything. And keep putting small amounts of healthy things on their plate every time they eat. If they eat a piece of pizza, fine, but put one stalk of broccoli on their plate as well. Two, know basic nutritional needs like iron, magnesium, vitamins A, B, C, and D, and omega-3s, zinc, and potassium. I'm not going to talk about the amount of vitamins that your kids need, but I will talk about two things, calcium and vitamin D, because these are lacking in many American kids. If your child is one to three years of age, he or she needs 700 milligrams of calcium per day. If your child's four to eight, that's 1,000 milligrams. And if he's nine to 18, it's 1,300. So make sure he's getting that amount of calcium. And remember, buy calcium fortified foods. As far as vitamin D goes, your child needs 400 to 600 IUs per day. Kids who live in northern climates or darker climates tend to get less vitamin D than kids who are in sunny areas. So watch your kids' vitamin D intake very closely. 40% of the kids in the United States are deficient or low in vitamin D. And being low in vitamin D is associated with increased illness. And if your child is ill and goes into the hospital, the hospital stays are usually longer. Three, eat colors and ask your child the next time I go to the grocery store, come into the fruits and veggies section with me and I want you to find a vegetable or a fruit in every color. When it comes to vitamin A, think orange. You want oranges and carrots. Vitamin B, green and brown. You've got dark green veggies and whole grains. For magnesium, think green. You've got leafy vegetables like spinach. You've got beans, peas, soybeans, and some nuts. For vitamin C, think red 
and yellow. Oranges and orange juice are packed with vitamin C. Think about lemons and strawberries and red peppers. Vitamin D, white and light, milk, eggs, salmon, cereal, tuna. Also, look for foods that are fortified with vitamin D, like some dairy products are, milk in particular, orange juices, soy milk is, and cereals. Vitamin D is in beef liver, good luck with that one, and it's in cheese and egg yolks. For calcium, think dairy, low-fat milk, yogurt, cheeses, things like that. For iron, green and orange, dark green veggies. Yep, Popeye was right. And you wanna take anything with iron in it with orange juice because this is, increases the absorption of the iron. Also, iron-fortified cereals are very good. When it comes to magnesium, think brown, brand cereal, brown rice, tofu, beans, almonds, and a lot of other nuts are great sources of magnesium. Potassium, bananas, we all know that. They're loaded with potassium, but you'll also find potassium in sweet potatoes, white beans, skim milk, and low-fat yogurt. Zinc, Zinc is in chicken, beans, and fortified breakfast cereals. Now, I'm not a big breakfast cereal fan, but a lot of them are very good if they're lower in sugar and they're fortified with vitamins and minerals. So they can be very healthy for your kids. If your child is really picky and you just can't get them to eat a wide variety of foods, like I said, don't give up. Keep introducing them to really healthy foods every time they eat, but give them a multivitamin. I want to give you a warning. Before you give any supplement, with the exception of a child's vitamin, talk to your doctor. Vitamins are just like drugs. They interact with medicines, and if children are given too much, they can be very harmful to them. Well, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Marie Seiler, for joining me on my show today. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, make sure your kids get vitamins from foods first. Two, know nutritional basics. And three, eat colors. Remember, friends, check out meekerparenting.com. My brand new Strong Father, Strong Daughters Masterclass is available. And this is really exciting. Pure Flix is releasing a movie based on my book, Strong Father, Strong Daughters, August first. It's really great. Reminds me a lot of Father of the Bride. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born.